Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Greetings, fellow citizens of Batuu. Bricky here along with my friend Tony Mendez. Today we're going to talk about the troubled two years of Rise of the Resistance. Just last week, or two weeks ago now, Tony, Rise of the Resistance had its two-year anniversary. But it has not exactly been the smoothest two years I'm sure that Disney wanted for one of their most premier attractions that they have built in quite a long time. How are you doing today, Tony? Very good. I am. This is something that's been on my mind. It's hard to believe that it's been two years. It yeah. doesn't seem like that much time has passed, but here we are. But looking forward to having this conversation. So in two years, I did a, a data dump because I'm very numbers driven. I love numbers. These are the numbers of the two troubled years for Rise of the Resistance. Okay. It opened December 5th, 2020 at Walt Disney World because Walt Disney World's, the rumor was it was put together properly, that there were some problems with the Disneyland version. I'd heard rumors that the magnetic sensors that help the, you know, Bluetooth, for lack of better terms, electric vehicles cruise around that they were put in like wrong in the concrete or that the crew didn't install it right. That was the rumor that's never really been officially announced by Disney. And, you know, how would people even know this unless they've got a bud that's willing to break the NDA and who's part of the construction team? But the rumor was that the one in Disneyland was put together in, in an inefficient way. So it actually opened here January 17th, 2020. In its opening, it breaks down often. And we knew this from Walt Disney World because out in Walt Disney World, it was open during the holiday season and it had been breaking down quite often. It goes to show how hard it was to build this attraction because the two galaxy's edges, both east and west, opened up months and months and months before Rise. And many people would go into these lands and be like, oh, what's this over here? Because they went with the Indiana Jones aesthetic of taking your biggest, gnarliest ride and basically hiding it from the human eye of to where it actually is and to where it exists. So it Disneyland closes down on March 13th, 2020. That means that there was 57 days of rise of the resistance and inside of that 57 days i will refer to that as the disneyland lottery because the way that you ride rise of the resistance and it's opening 57 days is you had to be in the disneyland park you couldn't be at dca you couldn't be in the esperanda you had to be inside the gates of the disneyland park to either a get a paper ticket, which I've only known one psycho that that's worked with, or to get it on your mobile phone. And at 8 a.m., you would see, well, actually at like 7.45, everybody has their phone out and everybody's refreshing. And about 7.55 a.m., there was a quiet that would brush over Main Street like you've never seen before at Disneyland. And then at 8 o'clock in 10 seconds, there's people, yeah, we got it, we got it. And immediately you would realize who the day's winners and losers were. That system was so unfair because you would show up so early to maybe get the thing that you wanted to get or not. And I often think about how many people would go home completely brokenhearted that that was their one day at Disneyland visiting in from Chicago, visiting in from Ohio, coming in from back then in the good old days, coming in from England. They had one day that Australian to be inside of Disneyland. And if they struck out at 8 a.m. and then again at one, 
they were done. It was a free-for-all is the best <laughs> word to use. And correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time we would see the boarding group system or the boarding yeah. pass system. And it was implemented. Everybody didn't really understand it or how it worked. And yeah, at the beginning, it was really confusing. Oh, I have to be inside the park like before I can even attempt to do this thing. Or, uh, you know, can I just like stand next to the Wi-Fi like near that? It was really strange. And uh, I so I got to first experience it at Disney World. Yeah. And this was uh, January 2020 when I went on to Disney World and I got to go on it. And I just remember being in that. Uh, this is obviously free pandemic times because the crowds were at five in the morning crowds like you've never seen just waiting to get inside Hollywood studios. And it was kind of cold. It was, but everybody was all in the same, you know, <laughs> the thought process of I have to get a boarding group. This has to happen. And once they allowed everybody in the gates, then everybody was just on their phones waiting for those boarding groups to drop. So uh, just talk about the ultimate like pre-pandemic experience, right? Like we're never going to have that again. I don't think, I, I don't know. I, I would be curious to see how this whole thing would be managed today and throwing the pandemic out the window as hard as that is sometimes to imagine it not being this dark cloud that hangs over all of us in our beautiful Disneyland. But what I found interesting about the release of Galaxy's Edge and Rise of the Resistance is there was never an upcharge. And when they did that um, reservation window for the first month just to get inside of Galaxy's Edge, I kept expecting for them to upcharge that. Or I was expecting for them to do a premiere party where, you know, they do Galaxy's Edge nights or days before everybody else could get in there and be $500 or whatever. And I was really, really shocked that it was always free and that the, um, you know, virtual queue was not an upcharge because they clearly could have got away with it. And the technology exists to make it pretty easy. I wonder if under current leadership, if all of this was happening all over again, would it be free to see galaxy's edge for the first time in your four hour window would it be free to get one of those boarding groups or would this all be an upcharge right out of the gate yeah i, I would say it's very safe to assume that they would probably be charging for that now but different times they did you i remember you went to a guardians uh ticketed event i did right before that opened right i did i went to a guardians ticketed event i, I paid maybe 150 bucks it got you Hollywood land and the tower. That was where the cutoff was. Um, and you could ride tower of terror or I'm sorry, mission breakout as many times as you wanted to. There was some limited edition food. Still remember that little big dog rolling around with his gamma ray donut and how happy he was. That's one of my favorite Disneyland memories, but yeah, they had in the past, they did a, a release for Pixar pier too. And that one, I'm like, I'm not biting on that. I'm, I'm not spending money on that. Um, I think that was a smart decision, but no, we would definitely see Avengers campus become a, you know, free, but a limited footprint of, of people that were allowed in there and galaxy's edge managed the same way. But on March 13th, 57 days after rise of the resistance opened, it would then close for 414 days. And out of its two-year birthday, the attraction was closed 414 days, which is 56% of its lifetime 
it was actually closed. So the attraction in its two-year anniversary was only open, if you're doing the math, 44% of the time. Now, inside of all of that, Disneyland opens on April 30th. It had 207 days of the virtual queue. But the good thing about this 207 days versus the initial 57 days is you could now book Rise from the comfort of your own home because you had a reservation saying that you were going to be inside Disneyland at, you know, that's where you were starting your day at. And you could book that from the comfort of your own home, which I don't know if that was totally COVID protocol or just the, you know, weighing down the opening of the parks. But man, oh man, in that 207 days, it was already a way better experience of setting your alarm clock, trying to, well, that didn't happen, but it didn't happen at home. It not happening when you're laying in bed or making the kids breakfast is one thing. It not happening when you rushed out the door, beat traffic, tried to get into Mickey and Friends parking lot, did that power walk. I'm not running, but I am kind of running to get inside of Disneyland about 8 a.m. Like the enormous amount of stress to strike out is way, way rougher on you than striking out from the comfort of your hotel room, your your car, your living room, your bed, wherever you may be. Oh, yeah. So convenient. And if I recall correctly, you were on the front lines of opening. Yeah, you I was there opening day. Crazy. You got there super early, right? You guys were in the rain, I recall, waiting, waiting yeah. right? Yeah. And it's and then I mean, just so it's like you, you go through all these steps, you psych yourself up, you're around, you're surrounded by people that are all pumped and just as excited as you are. It's cold. You're you know, it's 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 fun and it's exciting, but at the same time, probably one of the most stressful Disney experiences you'll you'll have. Uh, I just remember being like an absolute terror, like seeing that button go live and yeah. just clicking it and not knowing if you're going to get to go on or not, which is dumb because it's it's just an attraction. Eventually, you'll go on it, but still, in the moment, you're like, this is the most important thing in my life. So, yes, having that ability. Um, from the comfort of your home and your bed or wherever you're like, Oh, I didn't get it. You know, that I don't have to worry about rushing over there or doing this. I can, or I can try again later on. That's such a better system. It really is. It takes a lot of stress out. And I always thought about it for the people that came in from out of town and more importantly for the parents that came in from out of town, everybody knows, even me, Mr. I have no kids. Uh, everybody knows that the key to children is managing expectations. And I always felt so bad for the family from Ohio where star Wars was like the family's identity and a thing that they love together. And mom and dad put up money to bring the kids out to Disneyland or, or Disney world. And they're only going to be there one day. And all they want to do is ride rise and pull down and, you know, Within microseconds, sorry, it's done, which kind of means that I think that once you go to that page, it already predetermined whether you were in or you were out because how quickly it would sell out just means that there had to be some sort of back end mathematics going on. But I always felt about that person, you know, like I tried to really not always see the park from the perspective of I'm incredibly blessed to go there once a week, every week, sometimes more than that. So that part was pretty rough, but. On November 22nd, it would change again after 207 days of virtual queue, book it wherever you need to be. On November 22nd, it would become a regular ride for 17 days. 
You could just show up, stand in line, whatever that line was, that's how you got in. One line, one way, it was glorious, 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 glorious. And then it would change again on December 8th when it would become a part of the lightning lane. And then it would have two entrances, a standby time, and then the lightning lane where you pay $20 and you essentially go right in to the first pre-show. Which leads me to my next question, Tony. Mm -hmm. When do you think the ride starts? I think it starts the moment you jump into the queue. As soon as you walk into that first cavern, I think that's when it starts. Now, your mileage may vary depending on how big a Star Wars nerd you are. Um, but I think seeing all of the like equipment and just that stuff, it's, it's that storytelling, it's that building towards the actual ride itself. But I think the moment you jump in the queue is when the ride starts. Now, a lot of people would argue that it doesn't start until you get on that uh that the uh, ship but i don't know i feel like the theming and everything it's probably one of the best cues ever designed by imagineering because it doesn't feel like a, a slog although i haven't really had to wait like you recently did um <laughs> in like a hour plus line uh but yeah i think it starts the moment you jump in line how about you mark i would say as someone who's wrote it now somewhere in the ballpark of 10 to 20 times to me it starts when you get briefed by ray and bb8 and Poe. I think that that is when the Disney magic, the star Wars magic becomes real, uh, really clever using that one way mirror with a led TV behind it that, you know, those TVs are super powerful. They have 100% true blacks. So you have that mirror that is reflecting the corner. So you can't tell that the mirror is in there at all. And when Ray comes through, through, you know, the star Wars blue hologram, it is such a great way to set up the story. The BB eight animatronic is fun. The various different TV screens and modules in there. Like to me, that's when I start to feel the excitement. And as somebody that's done it so many times now, and I realize every time I'm doing it, I'm doing it with people that have done it for the first time, whether I'm there with friends, family, or just looking at, you know, the citizens of Disneyland around me. I feel like that's the moment when you can see people starting to get the rush. And because it's such a great ride and you don't know what's going to happen next, that area where you go from Ray to get onto the transport, they push you through there at such a fast pace that that's when the storytelling I think really, really begins because it's like, come on, you got to get in here. You got to get in here. And that's when that first bit of light role playing begins. So to me, that's when it starts. Yeah, that's fair. I think, uh, I think too, a lot of this attraction is on the shoulders of the cast members, yeah. depending on who you get, uh, you know, you could have a really rowdy cast member that'll interrogate you on the Star Destroyer, and it's it's a lot of fun. I've had it the other way where they're quiet and they just kind of they're just working going through the that's, motions. That's cool. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so you're not. I think that's the other thing that keeps it fresh is that you're you're never really getting the same experience uh, twice. It's always slightly different. Or if you've gone on it enough times, you know there's an A mode and a B mode, and clearly like oh kylo runs down all right so we're in you know b mode or whatever um but yeah that's uh that ride is so immersive so great i love it Let, let's talk about the the b mode for a second since you brought it up i was going to talk about that later but since we're here let's get into it uh i don't think a lot of people quite understand that they were smart enough to know that the magic trick of 
Kylo, you know, going after you and doing the force pull. And then, you know, there's an explosion and part of the ceiling falls down and, and, you know, that wind blows at you. So once again, this attraction is hitting you at all these different senses. When that doesn't work properly, you get slid over to a video board where Kylo is, you know, in a, um, in a, a, a spacecraft in his TIE fighter. Yeah. yeah. in his TIE fighter and he's going to chase you off. So the storyline still works that you're going to evac and he's going to try to chase you off. But that really shows a lot of foresight, I think, by imagineering and design to say, this has got a lot of moving parts. If those miss, it's the climax. We got to have something else to give people. Because, you know, the lightsaber is not always going to come down through the ceiling. There are little things here and there that don't always work. But it's not the climax, right? Like you need, I mean, imagine that you rode the Haunted Mansion and just the graveyard scene just wasn't there. You know, like that is the climax of that ride. I mean, sure, Hatbox Ghost is sometimes off and you don't really get the whole magic trick there. But imagine just not getting the grand finale. So I thought that showed a lot of cleverness to say this might not work. Let's make a backup plan. Yeah. And like you said, with that many moving pieces, I couldn't even imagine if something went down and there was nothing really to replace it because it relies so, so much on different aspects there's obviously the dark ride portion there's the drop ride portion there's there's so many nuances to that ride it's crazy now let me ask you this so there's the a mode there's a b mode um this is obviously a newer attraction even though it has a lot of these moving pieces did did you foresee it breaking down as much as it still is i always thought like technology is here like they've they've got it down to a science this is going to be the the best designed attraction we've ever seen with very limited to, to no breakdowns, but it seems like it breaks down pretty often. Yeah. And from what I've understood from talking to people that, that are engineers on this attraction, that they literally have it designed that if one little thing misfires, the whole thing comes to a standstill. I don't know if the engineer was over-exaggerating. He's like, one light bulb doesn't work. The whole thing stops working because they, it needs to be, super perfect and they need to protect the guests against things like you know video boards not working right i mean you can't go through there and have a microsoft you know warning sign and then blasters shooting from that that monitor so i think they're really particular about how efficiently they want it to run i will say this it does still break down but it doesn't feel like as often or as long because there are sometimes where it would just go down at like 10 a.m. and that was just it for the day i do know that one of the reasons why this attraction closes earlier so let's say the park tonight would be open till midnight if it were summer hours rise closes at eight you have to get in line for this attraction by eight o'clock that means everybody that's in eight will cycle through by nine o'clock park reopens at nine the next morning they have a 12 hour window to get in there to do daily maintenance and it takes that much maintenance every single night to get it ready for the next day. So I think they've learned kind of what they need to do overnight to get it to where it's at. Also with the trackless ride system, all of those vehicles need to get a full charge because all they're doing is getting that quick hit, you know, loading and unloading They're get There's a magnet there that's going to give them a, a quick charge, but is that going to be enough for them to run the entire day at the pace and what they need to do? So I'm sure that is just kind of keeping them above you know, 40%, but they need that 
overnight to get the full charge of all those ride vehicles and stuff. So yeah, it is a lot of moving pieces. And I heard Bob Gurr talk trash about it at this event that Mice Chat put on uh, before D23 2017. I believe that's where it was, or maybe it was, yeah, it was, no, it was 20. I don't know. It, it was a Bob Gurr event that I went and saw him speak at. And uh, he was talking trash about it, that it's too many pieces that have to line up. He's like, this is a theme park, not a museum. It's a theme park. You got thousands of people going through a ride every hour. And this new thing needs all these different pieces to align up. And if they don't line up properly, then the whole thing falls apart. And um, he got a real standing ovation. People really enjoyed Bob Gurr talking trash about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Uh, it was definitely not a crowd of people that liked IP in the parks. But moving over to what I wanted to ask you is this, Tony. Do you think that theming this after the sequels will hurt this attraction in the long haul? That's the the biggest question, I think, with this attraction and the land as a whole, but too. Um, land is easier they, to fix than the attraction, though, wouldn't you say? That's true, uh, but I do feel like there are certain elements like Kylo Ren's ship, or there are certain things that are very specific to the sequel timeline. Yeah. Obviously, the rest, I mean, sure, they could probably replace it with something else, but that's a giant piece of you know property that they'd have to do something regardless the attraction itself because that is so um hard line in the middle of those movies of the sequel trilogy um it, it really will be difficult to see like how they how, how well it does in the future because i do feel like already i mean those movies aren't that old and i feel like they're already kind of distant memories to a lot of people and i know there's a lot of people that really enjoy them and like them and i really like the middle one um but i just i don't know i don't think it has the legs that they thought it was going to have obviously when they rebooted this whole franchise they thought you know we're golden all we have to do is just keep pumping star wars stuff out people will eat it up doesn't matter what it is as long as it's star wars hasn't worked out that that, that hasn't been the case so obviously now we're in a time where I think Mando has the attention of everybody and captures that nostalgia and that perfect balance. Um, So it remains to be seen whether or not you can actually go back and, you know, retrofit it to, to make it more Mando friendly, or I just think that's an attraction that they really, really dug deep into this, to the story aspect of it and putting it in that timeline. But yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, it's, but like I always say, like, even though I don't really have an affinity for those sequels as much as I do the original trilogy or Mando, um, the attraction itself, it's still fantastic and I will always enjoy riding it. So that's kind of secondary, I guess. But what do you think? Well, I think they were smart that they based it around the most successful parts of the sequels. Kylo Ren, beyond a doubt, is the most popular iconic character and he is the star in this attraction they also went with stormtroopers which are evergreen you know stormtroopers somehow became the skull and pop culture you know i mean it is just a flawless design so i think that that puts them in a good spot you know ray's just in a pre-show we see uh, finn in the you know the the ad at room very briefly so there's not um There's not a lot of those other things happening. I would say this. I'm not trying to spend their money, and I'm not going to laugh at how much this would cost. 
but it is essentially a Star Destroyer type vibe. It could easily be, be Darth Vader in there. The X-Wing could be painted to Luke's X-Wing. I mean, it wouldn't take a billion dollars. It would take much less than that, you know, to take this ride and to make it about the original series. Wouldn't take a lot of money at all to do that. I thought you were going to say it wouldn't take a lot to add Captain Phasma to the ride, <laughs> which is what, what everybody really wants. What yeah. a dis- she had so much hype going in to Phantom Menace, and you're like, that's it? That's all she does? Like, wow, we were sold a bill of goods. But I don't think that it would be that hard to make it New Hope friendly, you know, in that that wheelhouse. But this is what I wanted to talk about. Like, it's already, I think... I'm not talking about the ride system. The ride, the experience, the rush you get, that's legit. But I'm talking about its relevance. It's now hitting its two-year anniversary. And if I'm being dead honest, as somebody who loves Star Wars and loves Disneyland, it's not as relevant two years later as it was on January 17th. Yeah, no, not not even close. I think plus when it came out, those movies were that we hadn't seen the ending yet. So there was still this hope, hopeful, you know, yeah, all right, yeah, hopefully the, the, the end will still stick the landing. Right. It's going to be awesome. So now that we know how it ends and where those kind of, where those characters shook out and went on their own separate ways, it's kind of like, okay. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, I, I really just want it to be Mando or original trilogy, I think. Well, original trilogy is interesting because that's still relevant and people still love that. And that's from the seventies, early eighties. So you have a 40 year love affair for that product. That product is evergreen. So it's very interesting that they gambled on that part of it. It's almost like I would love to talk to Disney. I'm like, Hey, you know, you bought star Wars, right? Like you own all of it. Cause they constantly act like they're bottleneck gallery or gallery 88. And they're like, well, we don't want to step on the toes. I'm like, no, no, you own it. When you build the hotel, you can make it look like star Wars because brother, you own star Wars. So it's interesting that it's that way, but I want to do this exercise with you and, and everybody at home. So we're at the two year anniversary of rise. Okay. In your mind's eye, think about 2030. When it turns 10, how relevant do you think that that storyline will be then? And now let's go a little bit further to 2055. Disneyland is turning 100 this year and Rise will be 35 years old. Indiana Jones right now is 27 years old. How relevant does Indy feel to you? How relevant will Rise feel when the park hits 100? Just a little exercise to so just kind of think about where we'll be at. Will these movies hold up? Will they have the integrity? And now one last thing to drop on you, Tony. Star Wars, the original films are older than 35 years and they haven't tarnished at all. They still hold true to everybody because it was the birth of something big. Your thoughts now that I've given you these timelines. That is a great uh, thing to think about. And as I'm processing it, um, I think the, the monkey wrench he threw in was Indiana Jones. Now, Indiana Jones, I don't know if you recall this, but there was a fourth movie and it was really bad. It was really, really, really bad. Um, but the good news is the original Indiana Jones trilogy, 
still fantastic, still excellent, still yeah. lives well in the minds of everybody, even, yeah. you know, uh, parents that are showing it to their kids, their kids can enjoy it. So it didn't tarnish the franchise enough to where, okay, I can look back on these things and still enjoy them. Just like Star Wars, where you had the prequels, which I flat out hated, and I've, I'd seen all three of them in the theaters. Um, we're to the point, we're, we're at that point in history where people are kind of looking back on the prequels as with, with rose tinted glasses going like, they weren't that bad. They're, they had some good things about them. People have kind of turned around on them, but back when they it's came true. out, they were the worst thing ever and people hated their, you know, their guts and they hated George Lucas and all that stuff. So I do feel like because uh, it's tethered into a franchise, right? Star Wars, Indiana Jones, um, these things will always be evergreen because of um, how they were created and how they, uh, you know, transform people's lives. So they have that aspect to it. Now, because again, to our point of, this this attraction is tethered to the sequel trilogy to the new stuff we're already starting to see that that uh sort of wane of yeah okay people are kind of over it i don't think it's going to be relevant and when you go that far out um i'm just like that's basically roger the roger rabbit ride in toontown right is right. that's that's how relevant that storyline those those characters are going to be because i don't think people really care anymore so that's the ride again the ride itself will always be top-notch but to your point of the longevity because of how uh, hardwired it is in that storyline i think that's going to hurt it in the long run yeah i i think that you brought up a, a great point building off of mine imagine if indiana jones we were all riding around in refrigerators trying to avoid the bomb that's going to drop on us. That'd be entirely different than being on the Jeep going on I'd be trying to avoid Shia LaBeouf, Mark. (laughs) So I just thought that that was an interesting sort of exercise to think about, you know, it's been debated the Disney bet on the wrong part of the franchise. You know, did they, did they go about galaxy's edge um, sort of focusing on the wrong part of the brand to me? Galaxy's Edge is extremely successful because it's so beautiful and it's so well constructed, but the storyline part of it hasn't really come to life yet. And it feels a lot like where we're at in this chapter of Disney's history of they don't seem to commit anymore. You know, they come up with good ideas, they they pitch you and they wow you at D23, but then the follow-through is a little bit lacking, even though you know they have the talent in Imagineering and in their construction teams and their artistry to go all the way. There's like this, they don't go full stop anymore. So it's, it's kind of interesting to just kind of ponder where this will be at because the ride itself is really, really fun. It's a true adventure. And I'll, I'll still go by what I said on opening day. This is our generation's turn to see the theme park industry level up. It must have been what people felt like when they got off of Pirates of the Caribbean and, you know, at the end of the 60s. Whoa, what can they do now? You know, and it is definitely a leveling up of this is the tiki room for that that moment in time. Like it is taking the game and elevating it. And it, and to some degree, it makes things like Web Slingers not seem that exciting at all. And I mean, you know, you can't compare ease to, to D ticket attractions, C, C level attractions, but they went so far with this one. It's like, well, you know, when's the next time we'll see this level of creativity and, and theme park exploration? Is it Wakanda attraction that will hopefully round out, you know, the tiny Avengers campus? 
Yeah, it's uh, that's a really good point of where do you go from here, right? Right. Like, this is the ultimate pinnacle of uh, Disney Imagineering. You, they've taken tried and true things and they've kind of hodgepodge it together to make this incredible attraction. But that just makes people's expectations that much higher. I've heard you use the Avengers analogy of like Infinity and Endgame were so epic and like now it's it's kind of hard like like okay I want, let me go back and watch like the single character do this one thing and you're like the stakes aren't there the yeah the, that the level so it's like we've we've uh, we've been given our dessert you know already but we want more and it's like well how do you top it like you, you can't like you have yeah. to there has to be a cap I feel like so. I don't know, man. Where do you go with After Eyes? It's difficult. It really is. But I'll tell you, one of the things that I sincerely enjoy about Rise and why it is successful to me and why it feels very Disney is I think that they did a really good job of having a blend of practical effects and digital effects. Like the fact that it's not all video boards, it's like Pirates of the Caribbean over in Shanghai. You can use digital boards to do heavy lifting, but it's the frame around them that is so important. Like if you just, I, you know, I've never ridden on these attractions, but I've seen some things at Universal where you're straight up, it's just full on digital board that you're cruising past. And I love that Disney takes the time to build a sunken pirate ship around you. And then to see the video board, you have to look through the windows of the pirate ship. I love that on this attraction, you know, when you're in the interrogation room, the angle of the bars, the way that the room tapers, you know, when Kylo comes across and the stormtroopers come across, like there is a, a magic trick there. Or when the fleet is coming in, you know, to, to sort of attack the, the, the ship that you're on, you know, you have the two animatronics, you have the control room, and then those video boards are really doing you know, the, the magic trick, but it's everything else around it that makes those video boards feel like a window to space. For example, when you go into the stormtrooper room, you know, and there's just stuff kind of cruising by. So I do love that there is multiple levels of storytelling. That's what Disney does really well. And it's the blend of old technology and new technology that make the blaster shot scenes, I think, really, really fun that they didn't just go one way, like the old school way, and it like feels kind of hokey for the the 2020s but they also didn't go full on well this is like a vr experience or i gotta wear goggles or i gotta wear you know 3d glasses like i love that i don't have to put anything on my human other than a face mask to go in there and enjoy it yeah it's uh it's the kind of attraction where you can go on it multiple times i remember it wasn't until like my third ride through where i saw like finn uh under the adats where i was like oh i didn't even know finn was over there that's yeah. cool yeah. um just little things like that or when you get to the the elevator uh, where you go up and you could see inside the adat stuff like that that really really good storytelling really really good um design overall um let me ask you though so i've again because i'm just hardcore disney nerd there there are things that i can be negative i have a uh a, a uh, inclination to be a little bit of a negative Nancy sometimes, but oh, um, please, I've told you in the ahead. past that, you know, maybe the, the tie fighter could have been a little bit bigger in that hangar, or yeah. uh, maybe we could have gotten full size ad ads. What is the thing in that attraction that you kind of critique a little bit? Well, I was going to ask you, uh, let me rephrase this because okay. uh, my big, so my thing is this, do you think, they use the floor plan as efficiently as possible because one of my complaints with Indiana Jones 
is there's a couple of long hallways that we have to go down that they try to do their best. You know, you rip through the the room of the skeletons and you go through the, you know, where the spears are coming at you. But essentially those long rooms are to get you back in a direction where you can go back into a more complicated scene. They're about navigation. So if you were to ask me what my least favorite part of Rise is, I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit and say that I don't feel like the floor plan was efficiently used because there's a couple of times where we're just kind of like scooting and there's not really a lot happening around us. As far as complaining about an attraction, that's a pretty good complaint, you know, that like, eh, we're just kind of cruising around and we're not seeing a lot. But I also was able to see, uh, is it Tolbridge is Scott's last name? The, the, the main designer of the attraction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. I saw him speak and he showed us this graphic where they put heart monitors on people and they essentially track, does the attraction build an anticipation? And so he had a video that he was showing us of each scene and how each scene is designed to, you know, make you excited. Then the next one brings you down. The next one makes you more excited than the first. And then it brings you down and then it gets more excited. And essentially the wave kept going down, but taking you up higher the next and the pinnacle being, the drop when we got to go back into Patu. So it's really interesting that those quiet scenes are in there to get you ready for the next big punch. And in my editing and my videos, sometimes I'll take music out of a scene because I know that music in the next scene is going to be doing a lot of heavy lifting. Like in the um, video that Dylan and I did, I went quiet before I used that Iron Maiden song because I wanted to reset people's expectations of the music so that when the Iron Maiden came on, you're like, Whoa, was Bricky playing Iron Maiden in a Disney video? Like, I've never seen this before. So I wanted that magic trick to really, like, get people emotionally into it. So my biggest critique overall is I feel like some of those long rooms, there's not a lot happening in it. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty slim pickings. Like I said, just some scale things with the replica ships, little stuff like that. I mean, they put nine numb in on the ride, which oh, that's all on, I man. needed. Like that come is on. one of my favorite star Wars aliens, but that's, that's it. That's all I needed. But so yeah. let me put it to you this way. Cause I was going to ask you, cause my overall, my biggest critique was sort of the resetting of the clock that there's not a lot happening, but now I want to get more specific. I need from you, your favorite scene and your least favorite scene. Um, I would say my favorite scene has probably got to be the, um, I really like the scene where you go through past the, the gunner turrets, mm. you know, when your droid stops and go just because like, for me as a star Wars, like growing up watching those things, the starfighter stuff was always my favorite. So getting to watch like the battle while also seeing the cannons go off was always like a really cool little thing that I don't really think because in the movies they cut to it so fast and you don't really but to be right in the middle of it and like squeak past it I always thought was a cool scene obviously the bigger set pieces are cool too but to me that just kind of speaks to like a more uh the the movie scope of it it just kind of fleshes it out a little bit where I kind of that kind of puts me more like the I'm in the movie I guess you could say it so that's my favorite scene so my f it's weird because Seeing the adats is cool, scales a little bit off, getting to go up, you know, that's a really cool room. But I think the thing that they did that 
always makes me feel the Disney magic the most because it's just, it's a practical effect, but it's a smart effect is I really love when the lightsaber comes down through the ceiling, you know, like you're, he's chasing at you. You go into a room, it kind of, you're sealed off. It's a, it's a setup to the next thing, but man, oh man, when that lightsaber comes down, I'm just like, I can't wait to see everybody's reaction around me. Cause a lot of people don't know that. So I really, really like that. Um, as cool as this scene is, I have problems with, I mentioned it earlier, you know, when our carts come in and there's, um, Kylo on the bridge with, uh, what's the redheaded guy? Oh, uh, captain. Oh my God. I can't even think of his name now. It was Poe Dameron was calling him Hawks, General Hawks, because he was calling him Hugs. In there the you movie. go. There yes. you go. Hawks. So he was in this thing um, called, oh man, Pete of Ireland, or I, I can't think of the name of. He he played a complete idiot on this show that I watched, and Beth mm-hmm. and I always laughed that it's like that guy because his name was literally I think Doofus in the the show, and he's in that. But anyways, um, that room where you come in, right, and then the fleet comes together. The scale is kind of weird. Like our carts don't go all the way in. We see the back of the characters. Like I feel like when they turn around, it could be a little bit more menacing. Like I feel like if that bridge was not as tall and when we came in, the the turnaround felt a little bit more like an attack on it. It's like, I don't know, like just the scale in that room is kind of always bothered me. It's like the things that should be close to us are too far away to really have the impact that I think that that room is intended to have. I think for me, the, probably the the worst scene on that attraction is just the um the probe droid scene where it's like oh no we're caught and then he kind of bops down or bops up and he's really little like it's really like he doesn't look as big as he does in empire like it's a really little one it just kind of pops up and then he's gone and then you kind of drive away but that that for me is kind of the weakest part yeah but i wanted to ask you this if you had to think about square footage and getting the most bang per buck. Rank these for me. Indy, Mansion, Pirates, Rise. Okay? Like, which of those attractions do you think maximizes every bit of show scene? And which one of those do you think falls a little bit short on having some eh scenes? That's really hard, man. Um, I think I put rise last because i feel like that one it it, you you kind of brought up the point how it it does suffer a little bit from like long scenes that don't really have a lot going on so i think they could have planned that one a little bit better in terms of this how that space is used and um getting you to the to the next scenes again not not bad no by any means none of these attractions are bad attractions these are all for the greatest things you're ever going to do in your life things ever but if I, I have to rank them, I'm going to put Rise last. And I put Indy prob- last. You put Indy last? Okay. I put Indy last. I was going to say Indy next, but yeah. um, Indy is, yeah, like you said, it's really just the more you, I think about it, you're right, which is you're, it's just long hallways to get you to the to the next section. Um, so there's that and one. Those hallways, too, because they use kind of like blacklight effects, they feel very much like carnival in town trailer you know, dark ride, um, which is kind of cool because it kind of has like an old school aesthetic to it. But I put it, I put Indy last. Now, what do you, what do you think out of those four bangers? Which one do you think uses the footprint the most efficiently? I'm going to say the most efficient is Haunted Mansion. 
and only because it came after Pirates was done, I feel like for that small of space and to eat up that many people for an attraction, it's it's basically it's taking everything they learned on Pirates and it's got probably it feels like half of the size of, of Pirates, but you still get that just as much of an immersive experience that you do on Pirates. Now, Pirates is probably going to be a number one for a lot of people because it's it's just such it's a, my number one. Yeah, I, I, I think there's only one scene in Pirates that I think needs improvement. And that is when you're going through the broken ship's belly because it's just it's dark. There's not a lot of, that happens there. And unfortunately, it kind of makes it just kind of like peter out at the end. I think what they could do to fix that room is very easy. Install some fans where all those embers are and just blow hot air on you. Because I think that if you felt the fire in there, it would make it feel so much more real. I thought you were just going to say... Um go on the Walt Disney World version, which is just, they just cut out entire scenes and it's just like <laughs> oh, five mean, second long tracks. You mean Pirates Light for busy professionals that don't have time to do the whole thing? <laughs> Diet Pirates? No, I mean, those are four amazing attractions. and I think Rise definitely fits in there, but it's, you know, it's interesting to think about the long haul, the history, the prestige, where it will be, and how fun would it be if for 45 minutes we just said how great it was. Hey, everybody, I hope you enjoyed our breakdown today of of Rise of the Resistance and its troubled two years of history. I hope you enjoyed some of the fun facts and the way that we looked at it and the timeline. And I'm just going to say this as we end today, Tony. I wish it a better two years than its first two years. Absolutely. The force <laughs> be with you, Rise of the Resistance. You are... A damn good attraction. You deserve better. Less breakdowns, but bring back just the lines. The lines work. Let me go through the line and go on the ride. Uh, that's it works. That's all yeah. I'll say. You're 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 yeah. You're like old Ben out in the desert. Nothing you're saying is making sense. Friends, thank you so much for showing up for this week's episode of the podcast, where Tony and I talked all about Rise of the Resistance. And if you enjoyed today, please subscribe to the channel, give the video a thumbs up, or leave a comment below. And I want to thank everybody for all the comments we got last week on our top five questionable decisions of 2021. It was really interesting to see how many of you had your your own ideas or sort of expanded on the ideas that we brought up. It was for going someplace negative. It was a really great comment uh, board, a really great discussion that happened in there. And I was really grateful to know that there's so many people that are watching and listening along that have really smart and bright things to say. Uh, other than the one person that said, stop overthinking things. And to that person, I want to say overthinking things is my job. If I don't overthink things, I got nothing to talk about, brother. Hey friends, if you want to hear part two of today's podcast, consider joining club1313.com, our online community that makes all of this content possible. Our discord is always popping when the news is dropping. And I'm not only a member, I'm the president. Head over to club1313.com where you can hear right now, part two of today's podcast, where Tony and I are going to go around oh so many current events. Sound fun, Tony? Sounds great. Can't wait. We'll see you again next week. Tony, thank you so much. Welcome. Until next time. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. And friends, if you want to go back to the opening day of Rise of the Resistance, I would encourage you to click on this video right here that I just put over Tony's face, where you can see my very first ride on Rise of the Resistance on January 17th when it opened up back in oh-so-innocent 2020.